As always, we do pray for the Spirit to show us Christ, to show us the Word of God, and to help us respond as we should. So we are working through the Gospel of Luke chapters 1 and 2 this month and next month, and we're doing this to center our lives on the real story of the universe, on the story that centers on Jesus coming, being born, taking on human nature, growing up, living, dying, and rising again to give us life. Jesus comes to seek and to save the lost, to seek and to save and to welcome us home. This morning, we're going to be reading Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. The words will be on the screen. You're also welcome to follow along in the Bible in the pews. But now hear the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to start with a couple where questions as the uh, first couple verses of this text lead us to. And I want to start with first the, uh, the address, 1070 South Prospect Avenue. Anybody know where that is? Right here, yes. This, in fact, is 1070 South Prospect. If you didn't know before, you know now. This is where we are. We come here to worship. We come here to hear God speak. This is the house of the Lord. All right, well, let's put the next address up on the screen. Does anybody know where 22N058 Nazareth Street is? Raise your hand if you know where that is. All right, I hate to tell you this, but if you know where that is, you're either very lucky or you're lying. I made it up. Totally, totally made it up. But there is this, this weird and different address convention here. Maybe it's common elsewhere, but I've never seen it, where instead of like the 1070 South Prospect, you have that 22 and then northeast, west, south, N058 Nazareth Street. And Google's gotten better about this, but when I first came and I had to visit a number of your houses who have this kind of address, Google could not figure it out. And neither could I. I'd punch it in and it'd say, 2258 North Street? No, 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 no. 22 North Town Nazareth? No, no, no. And I had to argue and argue, and often I ended up calling people and saying, where do you live again? Because between Google and I, we do not have it figured out. Well, this text, and if you were here last week or if you've, if you've read the story before this, the text takes us from, from something like 1070 South Prospect to 22N058 Nazareth Street. 
the angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah. And he comes to Zechariah in the temple in Jerusalem and in God's house, in the place that everyone who, who knew the Israelite community would know. And now we come to the next section here, and we're off in Nazareth. And the town is so obscure that Luke has to tell people where it is. It's Nazareth in the area of Galilee. Otherwise, people would be saying, Nazareth, isn't that that? I have no idea where it is. And Luke sets these two stories up as, as a contrast. If you were here last week, you'll have a little bit of a head start, but I'll, I'll try to make sure as we go through that we see these contrasts, that Luke wants us to hear that Gabriel comes to a whole spectrum of people. And there are a lot of ways that, that this appearance is similar, but there's also a lot of differences as Luke helps us build and build toward the coming of Jesus. So we're in, we're in Nazareth, we're in Nowhereville, so to speak, and Gabriel comes and he speaks to Mary, to this unknown young lady in this unknown town. And Gabriel comes and proclaims God's favor. God's favor has come. He says, you've got God's favor. You are highly favored by the Lord. And unsurprisingly, Mary is a little surprised by this. And the angel goes on, don't be afraid. You found favor with God. And then he gives this list of wonderful things. And it's interesting to contrast that list with, with the list given to Zechariah just a few verses before this in verses 13 to 17. Don't be afraid. That's the same. And then God holds you in special favor versus with Zechariah, God has answered your prayers. And then Zechariah is promised a child who will come to him in his and his wife's old age, though he wisely refrains from calling his wife old. But Gabriel says, you will have a son and his name will be John. And even though you're old and past childbearing age, you will have a son and his name will mean grace. And here Gabriel goes to the next level and comes to Mary and says, you will have a son, even though you're a virgin, even though it's physically impossible, you will have a child, and this child's name will be Jesus, which means salvation. And then for Zechariah, Gabriel goes on and says, John will be great, and he'll bring people back to the Lord. And for Mary, Gabriel says, Jesus will be called the Son of the Most High. This, this will be like unto the Lord himself. And then Gabriel goes on with Zechariah and talks about how John will, will turn the people's hearts back to the Lord, and John will come as a herald, as a messenger of the Lord. And, and here Gabriel comes to Mary and says, your son will be the king. He will be the king who will reign on David's throne, and he will reign over God's people, and, and not just for a short time, but forever and ever and ever. Here in Luke chapter 1, Luke is building and building and building toward Jesus. This is the same tune, but it's in a major key now. Look at what God will do. Won't this be amazing how the people will come back to the Lord? Look at what God will do. He himself will come. He will come and bring his people to him forever. And this is the real story. This is the story from Genesis to Revelation. This is the story from the beginning of the world to its end that the Lord God in Jesus Christ comes to seek and to save us. And the Lord shows all of us his favor. Zechariah and Mary were at a particular point in salvation history and, and they were at highlight points of where the Lord was working in especially powerful ways. But here and now, at this very moment, the Lord comes to us through this text, and he tells us that we have found favor with him. We have found favor with the Lord, and Jesus has come to us. Are we listening? Are we focused on the Lord? 
Are we tuned into the real story or are we, are we running after other things? So Mary hears Gabriel make this declaration and, and then she has a question. It's a really sensible question. It's basically, how will this work? Now, partly from how Mary phrases this question and, and partly from how Gabriel responds, it doesn't seem like Mary is doubting here. She's not saying, I don't believe you. That's impossible. What she's saying is, I believe you. I mean, I totally believe you, but I don't yet understand you. This doesn't seem possible. How is God going to work this out? Mary seems like she's on board, but she just doesn't get how it's possible. And we can contrast that again to Zechariah earlier, that Gabriel comes to Zechariah and gives him this good news, and it seems like in part from what Zechariah says and in part from Gabriel's response, Zechariah is basically saying, prove it, give me a sign, I don't believe you. And Mary is doing the exact opposite. She is saying, yes, yes, I believe you all. Wonderful, wonderful, great news, but, but this isn't possible. She seems puzzled. Curious, can this really be? Can God really be this good? Can he really work all this out as as Gabriel is saying? Well, yes, but but how can it be? Let me give you a little bit of a, just a a little picture of that. So I grew up in, in Denver and my grandparents lived in Iowa most of the time when I was growing up. So we didn't have grandpa and grandma around. But we ended up with surrogate grandparents, who we always called Uncle Dick and Aunt Jess. And they were wonderful grandparent figures. They, they bought us food we wanted anytime we went over there, so we ate hundreds of Happy Meals at their house, I think. And looking back, we probably could have had better taste, but whatever. And they bought us toys, and they let us play with these amazing things. And, and Uncle Dick had this great collection of model trains in the basement that we got to play with. It was an amazing house. And there was a point when I was maybe 10 or 11 that I started getting really into C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, those, those wonderful children's classics. And, and I was reading them piecemeal and picking them up and putting them down, but, but I decided I wanted to read them all the way through, but it was really hard at that point to get them all from the library for some reason. And then one day I noticed that, that in Uncle Dick's bookshelf in his study, there's the Chronicles of Narnia, all seven of them in a nice soft cover set. And so I asked Aunt Jess, can I read one of those? And she said, yeah, sure, anything you want. So I read one, and then, then I came back later, and I was like, can I, can I borrow all of them, please? Just, just for a while, I'll take good care of them. Can I please borrow all of them? And Uncle Dick happened to be there in his study, and he picked them up off the shelf and said, yeah, sure, have at it, take them home. You know, actually, they're yours. They're yours, just keep them. They're good books, you should, you should keep them. And these were, I mean, my favorite books. And like, they would cost like $30 to buy. I'd priced it out and I didn't have the money. And, and I wanted them so badly. But this couldn't be real. That people don't give you like these wonderful books. Could it be real? Could it be real? And it was real. It was real, they were mine. And that is the sense that we have for Mary here, that can this be real? It's real, but can it be real? Can it? And yes, it can. And yes, it is. And I think too often for those of us who, especially if we've grown up in the faith or if we've been a Christian for any length of time, we lose that sense of freshness and wonder. And we don't hear the good news of Jesus coming anymore as as this wonderful, amazing proclamation, but it still is. 
It's just as wonderful as when Gabriel came to Mary. And, and so one of the reasons we pay attention to Christmas and one of the reasons we gather and worship week after week is, is to celebrate and to ask this question, can this be real? Can this be real? In all the, the trouble of life, in all the heaviness we have to deal with, in all the bills we have to pay and the tasks we have to get done, in all the humdrum of everyday life, can this be real? Brothers and sisters, this is the real story. And all the other things in our life, yes, they're real too, but none of them are as real as this, that, that in Jesus Christ, the Lord himself came to save us. So yes, let us receive this with wonder because it is real. But then as Gabriel speaks, he pauses and, and Mary asks a question, well, how is this going to work? And Gabriel goes on and he says, it's going to work by God's power. It will work by God's power. The Holy Spirit will come on you and overshadow you and the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The creator God who made the whole universe out of nothing. The creator God who upholds the universe every moment. He is going to, says Gabriel, he is going to do something new and something incredible. He is going to again shape life in a fresh new way. And in fact, he is going to, in the person of Jesus Christ, in God himself, he is going to take on human nature, becoming like us in everything except our sin. This is the pivot point of all of history, and it will happen, says Gabriel, by God's power. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, this will happen. And that certainly doesn't give Mary all the answers, but it gives her enough to keep going. And now for another contrast with Zechariah. When Zechariah responds to Gabriel, he wants a sign. He wants proof. And he gets one, but he doesn't necessarily love it. He can't speak until the baby comes. And Mary doesn't ask for a sign here. She asks, how's it going to work? And, and Gabriel goes on and gives her a sign. And the sign he gives her is that Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, even she who was well advanced in years and beyond the time of having children, she is pregnant with the one who comes before the Lord. Nothing is impossible with God. God's word and God's power never fail. And that is the message that Gabriel gives to Mary. And that's the message that the Lord gives to us today too. Nothing is impossible with God. Now that doesn't mean that you can say, God, I want this thing and you're guaranteed to get it. But what it does mean is that whatever God sets out to do, whatever God promises to do, whatever God commits to, He will make happen. And so as we, as we come to worship today, and perhaps as we come with, with a bit of doubt, or with some questions, or even just kind of distracted, well, the Holy Spirit works in us still. And the Holy Spirit still works in our hearts to, to draw us to the Lord and to assure us of the Lord's work. We don't get all the answers to exactly how the Lord will work, but the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to show us that we belong to Him. And we have, we have a sign, we have a reality even more certain than what Mary gets because we have the Word of God. We have Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 and on and on through all the chapters of Luke. And, and we have the whole Bible that tells us this is how God's work, this is how God works. This is the real story. 
And we also have the church. We have the lives of saints who have gone before us and who gather with us to show us and to remind us, yes, by God's power, all things are possible. Now, it may be, and I'm going to speak particularly to people who maybe are, are struggling or doubting a little bit today. It may be that you come and you say, yes, I would love to wonder, can this be true? But, but it's hard. Well, pray. Be in the Word. Gather with God's people. These are the means that God uses to build us up in our faith. And if we, if we neglect speaking to the Lord, if we neglect listening to the Lord, if we neglect being with the family of the Lord, then our faith will always falter. Be in prayer. Be in the Word. Be in the church. If you want God to work in you, be in spaces and places where God says He will work. And God does work. He is gracious. Our final point for today, I couldn't find quite the right words, but we'll go with what we have. As God says. The last verse here, Mary basically says, we will do as God says. I'm your servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. A contrast with Zechariah again. Zechariah is especially privileged. He is a priest of the line of priests, When Gabriel comes to him, he is in the middle of the temple, and yet he responds less than perfectly to Gabriel's message from the Lord. Mary is an unknown woman from an unknown town. She is not advanced in years. She is not looked up to in society, and yet when Gabriel comes to her, she responds just right with obedience, with enthusiasm, with a declaration, whatever the Lord wills, so be it. Where are we today? The Lord continues to come and speak to us through His Word, and He he continues to come and, and work in us through His Spirit. Where are we today? I want to share with you a couple conversion stories, not that, not that all of us need to be converted, but I think it's significant for us to reflect throughout our lives, are we really paying attention to the Lord or not? So I recently met a, a guy a bit younger than me, and he said when he was in college, there was a very clear day that he prayed, and he said, God, I don't believe in you. Interesting to pray when you open with that. God, I don't believe in you. I don't want to be a Christian. I don't like where all this is going. But it seems like you exist, and if you want me to be a Christian, it's up to you. It's on you, God. And then he got up and walked out of the room, and a few months later, he became a Christian. If you ask God to work, he will work, even if you ask in grumpy and hesitating ways. Another conversion story, so to speak. One of my earliest memories, and I don't even know how old I was, three, four, five, I don't know. But I remember just feeling this prompting of, you know, I know I belong to Jesus, but I've never officially, I've never officially given my life to him. I should probably take care of that. So I thought, how, how do you do this? So I, I got a little gray chair that we had, a little gray wooden chair, and I put that in the middle of my bedroom, and then I knelt in front of the chair and said, okay, God, we're going to do this now. I believe in you. I confess my sins. Please forgive me. I would like to live with you and for you forever. Amen. Well, that feels better. And then I got up and I walked across the room and I picked up some Matchbox cars and started telling Jesus about what was going on with the different cars and all of those things and kept the conversation going. Now, you, 
you may have a more dramatic conversion story or a less dramatic one. You may be at a point in your life when you are more or less interested in really living into the Christian story. You may be at a point in your life when you are, when you are more emotionally and mentally and spiritually in tune with what the Gospel of Luke is saying here. Or you may be at a place where you just feel kind of out of tune. Like faith is, is there, but it's not quite clicking for you. Well, wherever you are, wherever you are, the Lord Jesus is coming. He has come. He will come again. The heart of the gospel of Luke is that Jesus comes to seek and to save the lost. Jesus comes to people who are resisting, who are pushing back, who are kicking back against him. And Jesus comes to people who are ready and excited to receive him. So where are you in your story? Where are you in the story of your life? What is centering and grounding you these days? And if it is any story besides this story, it is a story that will let you down. It is not really real. And so, so you are invited. You are invited this Advent season as we prepare for Christmas to, to look forward again with wonder to the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have been looking for a sign, this is your sign that the Lord intends to do business with you, that the Lord intends to have words to speak to you. And, and they may be words of, of challenge and change, or they may be words of affirmation and grace, but, but the Lord speaks to all of us. And his message for today is that we have found favor in his sight, that he has come to seek and to save us. If you are resisting the Lord today, I invite you to lay down your spiritual weapons and to receive him as your heavenly father. If you are ready to receive the Lord today, I invite you again to experience the wonder and the joy that, that Jesus has come, that our Lord and Savior has, has drawn near to us, and when we, when we could not get to him, he came to us. As the Lord has said, as the Lord has said, his favor is upon us. He is coming. He will be our king now and forevermore. So last week, I invited you to spend five minutes at some point during the week just really focused on being grateful to the Lord. And that's almost impossible. Five minutes is a long time. But this week, I again want to invite you to spend five minutes at some point this week, maybe today, maybe some other time, I want to invite you to spend five minutes just examining your relationship with the Lord. Five minutes asking yourselves, how, how am I responding to God's word? Am I resisting? Am I, am I pushing back? Am I, am I weak in my faith? Am I all in? Am I wondering at what the Lord has done? Where, where am I in my faith? And the goal here is not to beat yourself up because none of us are perfect in the faith, but the goal is to say, Lord, work in me. And if the Holy Spirit has been powerfully at work in you and you can say, I am vibrant in my faith and this is the best season of my life, then give thanks to the Lord. And if the Lord prompts you to, to see how there are things you need to do, well, then don't just say, I'm going to do it myself, but, 
but invite the Holy Spirit to work in and through you. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love for all his people. He has come to seek and to save us. This week, let us celebrate that Jesus comes. Let's pray. Lord, when we really pay attention to all that you have done, we stand simply amazed. You are so far beyond and above us. And yet, Lord, we wonder and we celebrate because you, you stoop down and come to us in our need and our weakness. Father, we come to you today with many needs and with much weakness. Our faith is little. Our hope fades so much. Our love is weak. Lord, we ask that through your Holy Spirit, you again open your good news to us. Open your word and help us to see the real story there. And open our hearts and help us to live in your ways and to your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.